Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Closing the Gap here. Thanks for listening, appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. I'm uh, I'm in my apartment right now, which the, the heat is broken in here, so it's really cold. I'm not sure how that's relevant to anything we're going to be talking about today, but I thought I would just, I thought I would share that. Um, anyway, so we're going to be kind of talking about two separate topics today. One of them is we're going to revisit a little bit of things related to, to cognitive traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, which is something we talked about in week, in uh, episode one. And then we're also going to revisit some some freezing cold takes I had in episode uh, episode three, which I think in, the, in that I'm going to going to partially bury myself a little bit, but also maybe provide some context for, for why I was wrong, even though I was still very, very, very wrong. I, I like I, I also said that the, the Broncos would win 10 games and the Rams would be in the NFC Championship game in that in that podcast. So we'll have to bury the tape on that one. And if you want to turn this off because I sounds like I have absolutely zero credibility, I would I would understand that. But yeah, let's just let's jump into things. So we're going to start with talking about the, the Tua Tungabailoa injury. So I'll quickly kind of set the scene here for anyone who wasn't looking at it super, super closely, which even I wasn't. I had to kind of refresh my memory on this one. So during week three against the Buffalo Bills, Tua briefly left the game with a head injury that the Dolphins medical team claimed as a back injury. And he eventually came back to the game and they won 21-19. But the important thing is that when he did briefly leave that game, he was he was wobbling around. It looked like he was not in good shape at all. I mean, I, I've definitely seen players who have gotten hit in the head, had some kind of head injury, and leave the game with a far less overtly ob- obvious um, symptom of, of some type of head injury. So long story short, Tua probably, at least just looking at it from the outside, on watching on TV, I would have t- not let him back in that game. I, I think most people would have agreed with that. But anyway, it did lead the NFL Players Association to launch an investigation determine, to determine if the, the Dolphins might have violated some concussion protocols by letting Tua back in the game. And then we all saw five days later, he was a game-time decision, and they decided to, to let him play against the Bengals on Thursday Night Football. He takes a sack in the second quarter, hits, hits the ground kind of with the back of his helmet, and then he demonstrated what is called a fencing response, which I learned is it's where your fore, forearms are held flexed and they're extended typically into the air for, for like five or ten seconds. Um, and the reason it's called a fencing response is I guess it looks like you're kind of in, a, in the pose in fencing where you're about to strike with your, you know, your your sword? Is that what, I don't know what the, fen- I don't want to offend anybody who's a fencer. I don't know what the, the right term is, but you're kind of like in your, you're ready to go pose and fencing. Anyway, he gets stretchered off the field and he's transported to the University of uh, Cincinnati Medical Center with head and neck injuries. And thankfully he was somehow discharged later that night because it looked really, really bad. If you saw, if you watch a video of it, I thought he broke his fingers because his fingers looked so weird, but it was just that fencing response. So really pretty alarming injury. So of course, a couple days later, the, the neurotrauma consultant who was involved in to his concussion check during that Bills game, that first injury, he was fired, which that makes sense because he he shouldn't have been let back in that game and he certainly shouldn't have been allowed to play just five days later. Again, for anyone who might not know, most NFL players hate playing on Thursday Night Football because it's such a quick turnaround after playing on the previous Sunday. It's five days. For you know, Players compare the, the, the physical trauma of playing in a football game as like getting hit by a car. No one wants to get hit by a car well, no one wants to get by a car. But no, no one definitely wants to get hit by a car twice in five days, right? So that's already difficult. And then after you have a head injury like that, and where we've seen all these things where it's so risky to get a second head injury, especially shortly thereafter the fact. So there's, again, just a lot of problems with letting him play in multiple different scenarios. So that second injury for Tua, 
Uh, that resulted in the NFL and the NFL Players Association really trying to revise its concussion protocol policy. And listen, maybe it's correlation, maybe it's causation, maybe it's random, but ever since then, we've seen some of the most egregious roughing the passer calls that any of us have, have ever seen. And it's probably because the NFL wants to prove that you know, that it cares about player safety, right? And again, you should look up some of these calls. They are terrible. I mean, if Tom Brady's getting breathed on, you know, 15 yards, throw the guy out, it, it, it's really, really kind of, it's really frustrating as a, as a fan. But anyway, Tua incredibly returned to practice October 12th, and he's on track to play this weekend, so I'm really rooting for him. I don't know. I, I, you know I'm not knowledgeable enough to say whether it's actually a good thing that he's playing again after, you know, an injury like that, but Hopefully, I would imagine the Dolphins, after having kind of a PR nightmare with letting him play, I would like to think they're taking the cautious approach. But hopefully, that's you know more than just a hope and it's reality. But who knows? So that's kind of the scene, right? And I think it'd be best, at least my reaction, is to rewind back to the first injury that took place in that game against the Bills week three, where he's wobbling around and they let him come back in anyway. Because, oh, it's just a back injury is what they claimed at the time. So let's pretend that, like, 50 neurologists came in and they all agreed with that guy that he Tua didn't have a concussion, right? That he's fine. He can come back in. I, my, I guess my question is like, who who cares, right? He's wobbling around like like a boxer who's, who's two seconds away from being unconscious on the mat, right? You know what would have happened if Tua was a boxer? Uh, a sport where someone for knocking somebody out is incentivized? The ref probably would have called it, right? Which happens all the time in boxing because he's not in a position to protect himself. So... You know, in, in the case of the Dolphins, where you let's say he didn't have a concussion, is, is it worth putting him back in? Like, I guess, like, why did the Dolphins insert him back in that game? Um, I mean, for, for Dolphins fans who saw that that game live, let's say let's let's flip the situation. Let's say they keep Tua out of that game, and then it leaks that he didn't really have a concussion. Do you think the entire city of Miami would have been in uproar because their team isn't, you know, truly doing whatever it takes to win? Of course not, because they saw him wobbling around the field, and hey probably isn't in a great position to play football right now. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, we should take every person out of a game anytime anything happens. If Stua, or Tua, Tua, like, stubbed his toe and, you know, took a three-week vacation to Peru, I would probably challenge his commitment to the team. But this is just an entirely different situation. I think it's, it's so easily avoidable. And clearly it means the NFL concussion protocols and the people evaluating players both need some serious overhaul. But I guess I just keep coming back to what's wrong with lying on the side of caution for once, because I know everyone wants to win, but you know people's their their livelihoods are at stake, and and their their you know their careers are at stake, and there's no way you can put Tua back in that game and feel great about it. There's no way you can see a guy wobbling around like that and say, let's put him back in. You know he there's he's for sure 100 percent capacity to protect himself, and the re-injury risk isn't a problem. Like there's I just I feel like you can't say that, and I mean forget the fact that you're re-injured if you're if that he got re-injured if you're not. 100% sure if there's, you know, there's even a sliver of doubt when it comes to head injuries. Just just don't put them back in, you know, so you lose a game in week four of the regular season. Oh, no, you did what's best for your, you know, your franchise quarterback, the guy you hope will play 10 to 12 years. Maybe you didn't do what's best for him as a football player trying to win that game, you know, as a as an elite competitor, but as a human with a career and a life in front of him, is that is that so bad to just to take him out? And I know everyone from the coaches, the offensive and defensive coordinators, the position coaches like the quarterback coach, the medical staff, the scouts, everybody, the GM, everyone's worried about job security in the NFL. It's a, it's a what have you done for me lately kind of league. If you don't win, you're probably not going to stick around for long. But, I mean, w- would they fire Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins' first-year head coach, for losing a Week 3 regular season game because he was protecting his player? I mean, if they did do that, I feel like it would be a PR nightmare, right? I just... 
I don't know. It's kind of confusing to me. And I think, you know, the the following week, Naeem Hines, the backup for the Colts, had a really similar injury. And he, of course, was held out um, because he, he looked even worse than Tua. It was a really scary injury. I remember listening to someone say that there's a rule in the NFL that if someone demonstrates gross motor instability, which is what Naeem Hines did, it's what Tua did when you're kind of wobbling around, your, your balance is off, um, that takes that means you can't come back into the game if it's from a head injury. It's like, what? So if it's from a back injury or, I don't know, a fingernail injury, it doesn't matter? I mean, if you can't walk, how are you being allowed to play football? Like It's those kinds of rules that I think is it's like a fundamental flaw with the NFL in the sense that is safety really at the top of their priority list? And that brings me to my next question. Like, What is the job of an NFL team doctor? Is it to protect the health and safety of the player or is it to push them by any means necessary over some some arbitrary threshold where they're deemed, you know, I'm putting up air quotes right now, fit to, to play and, and so they can cover their butts if something bad happens, you know? Because sometimes I feel like that's their job, you know, whether it's with pain injections or or some kind of supplement, find a way to be, get them just enough where they can play in the game. And, you know, if something bad happens, oh, you know, they're cleared, right? The doctors did what they could. And again, I, I'm not trying to say I blame the doctors. I don't know if it's, you know, them being forced to do things from somewhere upstairs, like in the GM, you know, their jobs are on the line too. I don't know who I'm blaming. But, I mean, maybe it's not, maybe it's not an NFL problem. Maybe it's like a bigger picture, like a societal issue about why do we, why do we try to squeeze every ounce of productivity out of people, especially when it's so obviously dangerous and probably not in their best interest. And I'm, I'm all for productivity and doing whatever it takes, but it's got to reach, it's got to reach some kind of limit. And I think the other problem is playing through injuries is, is so glorified in, in our culture, especially in sports culture, which probably isn't like an, a naturally terrible thing. I mean, there's, there's great stories of guys playing through stuff and winning. Tiger Woods won, won the U.S. Open with, with a broken leg. We all know Michael Jordan's flu game. He had 15 points in the fourth quarter in the NBA Finals on the biggest stage, right? That, that is super, and he ended up winning that Finals. That's super cool, right? Terrell Owens, he had an amazing game in the, the Eagles Super Bowl against the Patriots where he played also on a broken leg, and he had over 100 yards receiving. And They, they didn't quite win the game, but it's, it's like, again, like how, do you, how do you play on a broken leg? The amount of pain you have to endure, it's... And so it turns you into a legend, right? I think the, the, one of the coolest ones I found, if you guys know Byron Leftwich, he's a, an offensive coordinator for the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Bucks, And he played college football at Marshall, and he snapped his tibia early in, in, in some random game. And he came back in the fourth quarter, and he ended up going over like 300 yards passing. And there's a video, if you, you just look it up on YouTube, there's a video showing that after a deep completion, he legitimately can't walk. I mean, his leg is snapped in half. So to keep the drive going, his offensive line picks him up, and carries him to the other end of the field to finish the drive because he, he just, he, I mean, his arm works, he can throw it, but he just can't walk, which is, I don't know if that would have been allowed today. Which is kind of, it's kind of hilarious. You know, I feel like Twitter would, would just kind of go nuts with that one, but um, it's still, it's really, really cool. And I think I think the best example of, of all of these is, is Willis Reed, New York Knicks, all-time great player, Hall of Famer. And in the NBA Finals, he tore a muscle in his thigh and it forced him out of game six and it comes, you know, game seven, winner go home, sudden death, whoever wins this game wins the Finals. And he played. Inexplicably, he played. And the stadium went nuts when he surprisingly came out during the warm-ups. And he scored four points that game. He played for just a few minutes. He made two shots, which honestly is a big accomplishment in and of itself. And people will say that it was his will to play that inspired the Knicks to win that game seven, even though they didn't have you know a huge contributor to the team with Willis Reed. He put up a lot of points. So my point is that we we, we salivated this stuff. We, we we almost want to see players play through injury because it's so cool. It's it's like it's it's the storybook ending. You make a movie out of it, right? But I feel like we we should stray away from making it seem like a requirement. 
Like, look at Baker Mayfield, right? His career is probably nearing its end, at least as a starter in the league, because he played through shoulder injury, right? He had he beat the he won a playoff game. I think it was against Pittsburgh for the Browns. He I mean, he brought them out of just the pit of the NFL, how bad they were for so long. They had so many different quarterbacks. He was the guy that changed it all. And now he might not be a starter in this league anymore because he played through a shoulder injury last year and he played terribly, might add, right? Um, but, you know, you got to do it. You got to show your team that you're all in. Isaiah Thomas, similar story. He had hurt his hip really, but not not Pistons Isaiah Thomas, kind of the, the shorter Isaiah Thomas. He's like 5'8", five, 5'9". Really inspirational player. He dealt with a lot of tragedy in Boston. And one issue he had is that he had a really bad hip injury and he played through it because he was so passionate and so dedicated to that Boston team. And he played through it in the playoffs. He was never the same after that. And Isaiah's, you know, he's a, he's a young guy. He's like early 30s and he's he's been out, he's been really, he's been out of the league or on the bubble of the league for the last, I don't know, four, five years. Um, Bo Jackson, who's someone I think some would call the greatest athlete of all time. One of the biggest what-ifs. He played football and baseball, like Deion Sanders on the professional level. He played through a hip injury and derailed his football and baseball careers. Yeah, that was it for him. So I think I think it's it's important to remember, gutting, gutting out these injuries is awesome when it works, and it's depressing and career-ending when it doesn't. And, you know, whether it be head injuries or leg injuries or any other injuries, if there's there's nothing wrong with lying on the side of caution, especially in these regular season games where it's like, it's okay if you don't win, you know? If that's what it's like, I think, and again, it's all about job security. All these coaches, they, you know, they want to, you're in a contract year. You got to make sure you, you earn your keep. You, you make sure you can stick around next year. If, if it's so unlikely, if you're doing everything else right, if you're being successful in every other element of the game, if being cautious and keeping a player out of the game because you're trying to protect them, if that's really the sole reason you got fired, then I mean, that just stinks. That would be really unlucky, right? I think it's, you know, it. my guess is it's probably not the real reason why people are getting fired if the people upstairs, the GMs, really know what they're doing and really look at it, the whole the holistic picture of things. So, you know, I, I hope the NFL finds a way to, to find a good balance where, you know, players who are demonstrating serious cognitive symptoms of a concussion, they'll probably won't be put back in a game. I also hope we can be in a place where, you know, if, if Tom Brady gets breathed on, it's not a 15-yard penalty. I think there's a good kind of middle ground we can find. And I think right now the NFL is struggling with that. And I think it it might not find find a, a good a good balance this season. They might need an offseason to kind of figure it out and work with the officials and the medical staffs. But it seems like they have some work to do. Okay, let's jump into kind of the second half of today, which is revisiting uh, a really bad take I had where pretty much I said, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is that guy. And Max, Max Lessons, who's on episode three, said, oh, he is that guy. Max seems to be very much right, and I seem to be very, very, very much wrong. It's one of the multiple bad takes I made on the pod. And I think I was trying to figure out, you know, like, like pretty much why did I say that, right? And I think the biggest thing is that it's how do we expect people to play football? You know, for example, I think a lot of the mainstream media felt like, let's see Jalen Hurts win a playoff game because he got annihilated last year in the playoffs, you know? But why doesn't why doesn't Justin Herbert have to win a playoff game or why doesn't Trevor Lawrence have to win a playoff game before we decide, oh yeah, they're franchise guys. Dak Prescott, why didn't Dak Prescott have to win a playoff game? Oh, he's a franchise guy, right? And I think the difference is is that you have these guys who I don't want to call them run first quarterbacks, because it's not like they that's their first option every play. But it's a foundational part of their game. Why do they have to have postseason success before we can crown them? Whereas these guys who kind of mimic more of what we've seen in the past, these pocket guys who maybe run when they have to. You know, they, they look the part, so we're ready to kind of hitch our bets to them before they, they really make some noise. Because Jalen Hurts is 15 and 11 in his career, and he's been to the postseason 
And it looks like he's got a clear path to do it again and make some real noise, right? Herbert's 19-19. and 19. He's never made the playoffs. And, I mean, they barely beat a really bad Broncos team last night. I don't know if I'd guarantee that'll change this year. So, you know, why why is it still that Herbert is, is the golden boy and Hurts kind of had to had to prove himself? And I think it's it's possibly because of somewhat of the lack of success for, for really mobile quarterbacks who rely on the run to that extent, the lack of success, what, the fact that they don't often tend to win in February. So I set up kind of this like this, this big exercise here. I went back 11 years and I tried to categorize quarterbacks into to four different categories. So the first one is, and I, I did it based on the, their rushing totals for a season. Um, so for example, guys who rush under 150 yards for a season as a quarterback, I deemed kind of like your immobile guys. We're talking your Tom Brady's, Matt Ryan's, Technically, Matt Stafford's, although I think, you know, if anyone has really watched Stafford play, the guy can hustle. Uh, and Derek Carr is another guy who falls in that category. And then the next category for 150 to 300 yards rushing on the season. And by the way, just to think about this, 150 yards rushing on a season, that's like a little bit, I mean, that's under 10 yards rushing a game. So these guys are really not doing a lot on the ground. So just to kind of give some context there. Um, so 150 to 300 yards, I, I kind of call guys who can, who can run if they have to. That's like Aaron Rodgers, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Burrow. Um, next category, 300 to 500 yards rushing. These are your, like I call them your legit athletes. So that's like Trevor Lawrence, prime Alex Smith, prime Andrew Luck, Justin Herbert, I think falls barely into this category. Uh, and then Dak and Mahomes also kind of there. Dak and Mahomes are two guys who kind of bounce around between the guy who can run it, they can have to, and then the legit athlete. So that, you know, they're kind of your in-betweenies. And then over 500 yards rushing, again, for a quarterback, is I just call them they're freaks, they're freak athletes. So that's your Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton when he was playing, and I think Russell Wilson's another kind of in between guy. He's between that legit athlete, and he's also been a freak in multiple seasons too in terms of rushing. So, um, so yeah, what I did is I went back and I went to you know the pinnacle game of football, where, you know where the, the best of the best are meant to be, the Super Bowl. And I went back eleven years and I said, who's playing in, in these games? Is it your immobile guys? Is it the freaks? Is it somewhere in between? And uh, and yeah, I think what I found is, is pretty interesting. So we'll dive right into it. Let's start 2012 when, when Eli Manning beats Brady again, which was hilarious. Love that Super Bowl. They're both under 100 yards that season, so they're both immobile quarterbacks. 2013, this is kind of when the league, I think, shifts a little bit. and We start seeing more of these, these athletic quarterbacks making postseason runs. So you have Joe Flacco, immobile. Uh, he beats Colin Kaepernick, who was a freak athlete that year. He he was under 500, but he only played 13 games because he took over for Alex Smith. So he was definitely in that, that freak athlete category. 2014, Peyton Manning. This one's really funny because he threw 5,477 yards and 55 touchdowns. Record-breaking year all over the place. He had a whopping negative 31 yards uh, rushing that year. So, you know, legendary stuff from Peyton. And then he got just eviscerated by, by Russell Wilson, who was a freak that year. He was a freak athlete. Uh, 2015, Immobile Brady beats... Russell Wilson, who again was a freak athlete that year, he had like 850 yards on the ground. 2016, Peyton Manning, at this point a shell of his former self, once again finished the year with negative rushing yards, and he beat Pete Cam Newton, who was of course a freak athlete. 2017, Immobile Brady comes back and beats Matt Ryan at 28-3 lead. We all know what happened there. He Matt Ryan also immobile. 2018, Immobile Brady comes up a lot here, by the way. A little, little trigger warning for anybody. Immobile Brady beats Immobile Nick Foles. And we'll acknowledge that Carson Wentz was the starter, and he was, you know, he's a legit athlete. But for that year in the, in the Super Bowl, Immobile Brady, sorry, Immobile Brady loses to Nick Foles, I should say. Nick Foles won that Super Bowl, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, 2019, Immobile Brady again. He That time he wins the Super Bowl, he beats Immobile Jared Goff in that really boring Super Bowl. 
2020, we have really the beginning of the Mahomes era. He's a guy who can run it that year if he has to. Uh, he beats Immobile Jimmy G. 2021, Immobile Brady returns, and he outduels Mahomes, who fell into kind of that legit athlete category that year. And then 2022, we have the Immobile, although underrated, mobility of the great Matthew Stafford, earns his first Super Bowl ring and, and defeats surprisingly immobile Joe Burrow, who I, I, you know, I feel like Joe Burrow is a guy who can run it if he has to, but he was coming off that ACL tear, so he probably just didn't run it quite as much as normal that year. So, but still, in that game, you have two quarterbacks who that year were largely immobile in terms of their rushing totals. So, what does this all mean now that we've kind of broken all of this down? And I think, let's look at the totals. So, in the last 11 years, there's been 22 quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowls, right? Two, two per Super Bowl. 16 of them are immobile. Those are guys who have under 150 yards rushing on the season. And then if you look for guys who can run, there was one. It was Patrick Mahomes. And then legit athletes, there was one. It was also Patrick Mahomes, So because, he, again, he's kind of like in that in-between part. But the the more important one is for how, how many freaks do we have? How many freak athletes? And we had four of them. And I think the biggest thing is we haven't had one since Cam Newton in the 2016 Super Bowl. Ever since then, it's really been all immobile quarterbacks, and, and Patrick Mahomes has been the exception to that. So, you know, let's let's take it uh, one step further. How much, What about the guys who win the Super Bowl? The best of the best. The guy who's, you know, he's the one man left standing. There's been 11 of them, 11 years, 11 quarterbacks. 11, nine out of these 11 were immobile. One was a, you know, a guy who can run, Patrick Mahomes, and then one was a freak athlete, and that was Russell Wilson. So what does this all mean, right? I think... For me, what it means is that the freak, you know, these freak athlete guys who, who running is such a foundational part of their game, they can get to the top of the mountain. Russell Wilson did it. It just doesn't happen all that often. And the immobile guys have kind of been dominating the league the last, you know, six years or so. It doesn't look like it, the tides are shifting just yet. And of course, Jalen Hurts is good enough to maybe change that. Maybe he'll do it this year. I mean, they haven't lost a game yet. He looks really good. But I think we're so used to seeing these immobile kind of pocket quarterbacks be the ones left standing in February that it, it makes it a little bit difficult to kind of hitch our bets to, to the ones that have maybe shorter postseason stints if they make the playoffs. You know, the guys like, you know, Lamar, who has won some playoffs games but hasn't made that really deep postseason run yet. Kyler Murray, who hasn't won a playoff game. Or Jalen Hurts, who very early in his career ha- also hasn't won a playoff game. So, you know, I, maybe Josh Allen will change it. I think it's easy to forget Josh Allen because he's so big and so strong and such a, a good passer. He's a freaky, freaky athlete. I mean, the guy is just, it's kind of crazy. Maybe he'll he'll kind of change the, the course of, of how we view quarterbacks this year. But regardless, I, I do think it's important, again, to return to that first question. How do we how do we look at quarterbacks? And I think it's important to look at the results, right? Hertz wins more games than, uh, than Justin Herbert. So he should be looked at as someone who wins more games than Justin Herbert, as a guy who will win you a lot of games. And I think it's easy. Oh, you know, Herbert's the golden boy. He's super, he's, a, he's tall, he's big, he's a huge arm. At the end of the day, you have to, you have to win football games to, to earn... The, the crown of being, you know, a surefire franchise quarterback. And Jalen Hurts has made more of a case than Herbert has. And I think I was wrong to kind of, you know, fail to acknowledge that. I think a lot of people in the media are wrong to fail to kind of realize that too. So um, maybe it's time to start looking at quarterbacks differently, especially as, you know, the the athletic quarterback becomes more and more of a, of a staple of the NFL rather than the exception. So, um, you know, as guys like Brady and Matt Ryan and, uh, you know, well, I guess Jimmy G will be here for a while, but the point being, these immobile guys are starting to become a little bit of, of relics of the past. They're, you know, especially this year, if you look at how Brady and Rodgers are struggling, the athletic quarterback is becoming more and more of the norm. So maybe the numbers will change and we'll have evidence to back it up. Maybe it's just time to realize that we just have to wait and see who wins and you know maybe just go from there. So thank you guys again for listening. Appreciate it. 
and uh, we'll see you guys next time.